0: Hi, I'm Joanna Robinson. Join us every week on the Prestige TV podcast feed as your favorite ringer hosts like Bill Simmons, Van Lathan, Mally Rubin, Sean Fennessy, Chris Ryan, Julia Littman, and many more cover the latest episodes of your favorite TV obsessions. From boardrooms to throne rooms to courtside and through the mushroom apocalypse, we'll be here throughout the week breaking it all down. Subscribe to the Prestige TV podcast feed on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.
0: On today's episode of One Shining Podcast, we are in Los Angeles, and we are going to be joined by a man who used to be in Los Angeles back in the early OG Ringer days. In fact, uh, Kyle and I, producer Kyle here, we used to edit his podcast, the Ringer NFL show, many, many moons ago. He is one of the best. His name, of course, is Kevin Clark. He's going to come on the show We were supposed to have him on during March Madness. I got in my head about it. I felt like we were jinxing people throughout March Madness, and uh, I did not want to jinx Kevin Clark. He had booked hotels for the Final Four. Miami had never made a Final Four. It felt like the meanest possible thing I could do is have him on the show, talk about that, and then let them lose. So we kicked the can, and now we're bringing him on. He's gonna come on, talk about is Miami having a moment, talk about um, some of the great moments in Miami history, maybe do some magic talk if we get to it. Um, Yeah, it's gonna be great. So Kevin Clark one of the best Kyle anything else before we get into this episode because I know we cover a lot here I just spent three grand on flowers and it's also my fiance's birthday but first Woody Durham he takes the time Can out All right, joining us on One Shining Podcast. This is long overdue. He was supposed to come on the show during March Madness. I was very worried about cursing his Miami Hurricanes. And unfortunately, I brought the head coach on Jim Laranega and cursed him anyway. But we can get into that later. He is the great Kevin Clark. He does the Ringer F1 show. He does the Ringer NFL show. And he is the star of Slow News Days. Kevin Clark, thanks for coming on One Shining Podcast, man. What's going on, buddy? This is long, long overdue. Yeah, this is, uh, look, and Miami is everywhere. Um, that is what I have learned. Uh, if you are a fan of sports, if you're a fan of culture in general, uh, you know, Miami is on the map. F1, the Miami Heat. Like I said, Jim Larinega and the Miami Hurricanes go into the final the four. Florida,
2: Florida Panthers.
0: The Florida Panthers, Matthew Kachuk ruining my life day by day. Um, so I, I have to start with the simple question. Is Miami having a moment? And then we'll and then we'll branch off from there. Are there is Miami having a moment? Is this bigger than the Heatles? <laughs>
2: uh yeah. So they are. You met you've you uh missed the Elite Eight. Women's run from oh, Miami. Yes, right. Um, of course. No Nova, Nova Southeastern FAU. Like the whole the whole region is on fire right now. Um except the Miami Dolphins, oddly <laughs> enough. Um and the Marlins. We forgot about the Marlins.
0: Yeah, don't worry about the Marlins. Don't worry about the Miami Marlins. Mar-
2: the Marlins aren't cooking right now. Um, but yeah, I mean it, it's it's all a little bit of happenstance, I would say, because I don't think there's some huge like explanation where you can kind of Malcolm Gladwell you know 10,000 <laughs> hours thing like you know like most of them the good Miami players are not from South Florida um, in, in in basketball. Um, the hockey thing is just sort of incidental. By the way, I believe both the Heat and the Panthers are eight seeds, So it's not like any of these teams like had some great season. Like it's a little bit of luck. But yeah, I mean, they they are they are definitely having a moment. And then Miami gets Matthew Cleveland from FSU in the transfer portal. So like the moment continues. My, the Miami Hurricanes will lead the way. And what's funny about it, Tate, is that there was a have you ever seen the meme of like uh, the Ninja Turtles walking? What's their what's their master's name? What's the guy's name? Splinter. Yeah. Yeah, so like, you ever seen the meme? Thank you, Kyle. I I knew Kyle was going to come through. You ever seen the meme where like Splitter is is taking the 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 turtles as like their little babies, and then the next frame, yes, he's like leading them into the future. Yes, Yes. somebody put that out there, and it was like the Miami Heat used to be that for all the other basketball teams in South Florida, and now the Miami Heat are the old heads. They've established a basketball culture which, frankly, didn't exist twenty years ago, um, maybe a little longer than that. Um, and now Miami hoops is kind of a foregone conclusion. Part of the community. FAU is, is, is building something. Um, Miami women's hoops. Uh, I guess I said, Nova Southeastern one, I think the D two championship, like there's a real basketball community down there in an area where it used to just be football, football, football. Now, having said that, if some of our six, eight guys would like to play left tackle, I would take that on the Miami. If there's some Jimmy Graham's out there, That'd be fine, but I do I do like the momentum that basketball um, has is in that region.
0: So I wanted to to kind of timestamp where you were when my like when you were in college. What was Miami basketball like? Where, where were we in in the time of, of your career as it comes to you know being a Miami Hurricane?
2: Yeah, so Jack McClinton, it was right in that era. Um, they beat Duke uh, in kind of the high water mark, but it was kind of a bad duke team um it was like a greg Paulus sort of mm-hmm. pseudo star era um so beating them felt special because by the way as you remember well greg Paulus was a highly sought after recruit he was famous when it wasn't until after that i looked at that team and was just like oh actually they weren't that much better than us like it, <laughs> it, it it tracks um and so they were okay it was the frank haith era jimmy graham by the way was on the team um haith once told me that he thought it was interesting. I wanted to ask Heath why why did you know Jimmy Graham could play football? And he said, Well, he was good at two things. He was good at blocks, which means he can jump and and time it well. And he was good at taking charges, which meant he had really fast feet. And that was a really interesting insight. And so Jimmy was a became a tight end when I was in school. Um and obviously that the, the rest is history there. Um but they were always maxing out at Second round, Um, they lost to Texas in two thousand nine when I was there. Um, Obviously, even the Shane Larkin teams uh, didn't go that far. Even the Bruce Brown, Lonnie Walker teams, uh, you know, losing to Loyola, that sort of thing. That all came after. But when I was there, Miami basketball was was an afterthought. And I actually think I I think anybody who's in that community is is probably yelling at their their podcast app right now. If I didn't mention this, Miami baseball is the second team after football mm. and that is changing a little bit um and that ch- it changes every year that baseball doesn't win a college world series and and miami becomes an elite eight final Four team. that's changing but i'm just saying that the, the the it's one of these southern schools I, I think maybe like lsu and some of those other schools would be in the next like a bunch of sec schools where the baseball team has more of an impact in the community than than the basketball team.
0: Yeah, it happens at Georgia. Georgia is not baseball, but it's gymnastics. That's their number 2 team. It's like football, then it's gymnastics. I mean, this is, all these colleges kind of have
2: Co- College hockey. There's a bunch of there's a bunch of uh, northern schools that will have college hockey as a number 2 team.
0: Yeah, right. The Midwest, the north, you know, I don't really like to talk about hockey and, you know, especially when it involves the Florida Panthers and uh but in general, you know, that that happens. One name I wanted to throw out to you and I wanted to just get your reaction because he when I close my eyes and I think of Miami before Larenade This is the person that comes to mind. Guillermo Diaz. Uh, (laughs) Guillermo Diaz is one of the best players I've ever watched live and in person. It was almost like Carlos Arroyo all over again. They're both Puerto Rican. Maybe that's why I made that comp. But I remember watching Guillermo Diaz absolutely torch Carolina in the Dean Dome when I was in high school. And that was the moment in time where I was like, man, Miami, I, I don't know what's happening down there, but it seems like they're leaning into the basketball. And he's the he is the cultural pinpoint that I go to. How much do you love Guillermo Diaz, or, or am I just gassing him up too much?
2: No, he was a legitimate star. He was before my time, but he was a legitimate star. People were always talking about him. I think that his lack of an NBA, MB- I remember because I was down there um, a little after during his, his first, you know, his second round pick, obviously. And I think that there was a little more of a expectation for him in the pros. Um, he ended up, by the way, I, I just want to look this up right now. He is still playing in Puerto Rico. For Gigantes de Carolina, so he's had an illustrious career. It looks like he's been in, uh, it looks like he's been in, in the Puerto Rican league for the last few years. But he's still th- he's 38. He, he made some money, you know. He made his money. He was over in Europe. He played for the Anaheim Arsenal. He played for the 2008 Clippers. But um, I I love him. And but that's Gimad is a good example of what the previous era of Miami basketball was under Frank Haith, uh, even under Leonard Hamilton, where it's like they're gonna be pretty good. Every few years, they're going to have sort of pseudo uh, pseudo stars, but stars for college, um, and they're going to compete for a regular season conference championship, depending on how how, how deep it is. Um, that that did that didn't surprise me. and I didn't think they were going to rise above that. What Coach L has done over the past few years has been really really remarkable, um, and there's a lot of reasons for that. But to change that culture and to get, I mean, like. When, I think it was when Miami played Pitt, um, and I was all blur because I just had a kid. So I, I honestly, that entire like stretch of ACC games is just a complete blur to me. But I remember worrying whether or not they were going to sell out that game. And then they'd sold it out like a week prior, you know, which would never happen, never happened under the old regime, even though it's an on-campus stadium and all that stuff, like f- sellouts became a foregone conclusion. So like, the idea that the coach L has not only changed the team and made it better, but changed the culture to where people really care. Um, it's, it's really remarkable. And I don't think he gets enough credit for that.
0: Yeah. And I will, I want to talk about the, the coach Lara nega era, because I think that is um, it's, it's fascinating. He just got a contract extension through 26, 27. He's one of the oldest oldest coaches in basketball, but he's not stopping anytime soon. And uh, a wise man once said, I believe it was Alfred in Batman, that is the darkest before the (laughs) dawn. Um, And I remember the Nevin Shapiro story. And oh, that yeah. felt like the darkest before the dawn kind of moment. Frank Haith is kind of you know, intertwined yeah. in all these stories. There's pictures <laughs> of him at the club, right? And then Frank Haith is out. He's done. And then Coach Nega comes in. Some people at the time were like, this is a little uninspired. Is this kind of his retirement play? And He's going to come down to Miami like a lot of Northeastern guys do, especially guys from New York. They just come down there and they, they just pack it in. But instead... Like you said, he culturally reset Miami basketball. He had LeBron James coming to practice. He had five-star recruits coming to visit. Now he's got five-star recruits that he's leaving on layaway. That He's like, maybe if we have room for you, I'll bring you in. How much of a shock to the system was Larinaga to Miami in general?
2: Well, he's done two things. Uh, Kind of, I I, I I want to be careful here. There was a stretch there where he was getting five-star recruits. And that had to go away after some of the unpleasantness mm-hmm. with the Adidas stuff. Of course, um, that Miami was—we were clean. We were clean, a full and total exoneration. But that was—that was that. Was that. Um, so Bruce Brown, obviously, Bunny Walker, legend. Those, were, those are those are five-star, like legitimate guys. It is not a surprise that those guys are in the NBA. But what he's done in the last two years using the portal. Has been incredible and I went to the ACC tournament last year when it was in Brooklyn. And to see the fact you saw it all season long and one of the reasons they are a good tournament team is he just gets these 23 and 24 year olds and they do not choke. He does not do a lot of in-game coaching. He lets those guys roll the ball out and it's almost better. It's actually not a surprise to me that when he had a bunch of one and done five stars or whatever that um or a guy like Devin Reed who who was, you know, played four years but still still got to the NBA. Like when he got to the when he had the NBA guys, he almost did a little a little worse. What he has now is a veteran group of college stars who uh never choke in end of game situations, who basically I mean there can be I i, I think a lot about the the B C game last year in A C tournament, if you remember, where basically end of game scenario, B C misses a layup. There's like A second and a half, Charlie Moore just calmly passes it down the court. Jordan Miller lays it in to win the game. Like it was the most casual full court game winning sequence I've ever seen. I think most players would have just choked and just heaved, uh, uh, you know, the fifty footer. And (laughs) instead, they were like, "Actually, there's exactly enough time for like a very casual layup here." Um, It was really incredible. I think that's emblematic of something. And then the next night, they almost—I mean, they—they—they hung with Duke. Pretty, pretty easily um, ended up losing. And then, obviously, they would have won the AC tournament this year if, if Nortrad Omir hadn't gotten hurt. Um, and so it's really the perfect team at all times. I've never really had a game where I didn't trust them. And that's the sign of a veteran team. That's the sign of going out and getting these guys. And it's not like they were all stars. Everybody looks at Nigel Pack, who we know exactly what his NIL money is. It's $400,000 a year. I don't know what what Nortrad Omir's... Uh, but he was the A-son, I think, rookie of the year. Don't know what his uh, his NIL deal is, but I can't imagine it because John Ruiz didn't tweet it out, but I can't imagine it's that different from what Nigel Pack has. But like Jordan Miller was a George Mason. You know, um, Charlie Moore last year was on his fourth school. Um, it's not like he's just going out and becoming Transfer Portal University. Now he's utilizing it in a, in a really interesting way. Matthew Cleveland from FSU is great. We still, Miami still needs height in some way. Um, although I was every time I say we needed more height last year, the the most important feedback I got was the grass is always greener with that in college ball, where Mm. when you think you need height, you get it and you're like, we're playing too slow and whatever. Okay. But I, I, the way he's been able to build this team, it is not the reason I had so much confidence in the team this year. And the reason I booked a final four hotel in February, which ended up not saving me any money whatsoever (laughs) is, is just because, um, they, uh, the, the, it is an incredibly smart group of players because Laronega knows how to assemble a team every single year that is, um, full of old guys who don't make mistakes.
0: Yeah. And I feel like it started last year where the novice, the casual fan, whatever you want to call them, they kind of were like, uh, Miami, interesting, because they beat Auburn, who was kind of the, um, you know, if you were putting brackets together, they probably were the uh, the darling of the the picks for the national championship that year. They have Walker Kessler, first team All NBA or All Rookie in the NBA. You got Jabari Smith Jr. Right, those two guys. They were supposed to do this. They window Green, Keldon Johns. I mean, they, they had a whole they had a whole. We also, AD by Johnson, the way, right?
2: Just just to be clear, they had Kessler, and we had no height. Yes, we had we had we had Sam Wardenberg. <laughs> who's, like, cooking right now in New Zealand. I was going to say, he, I thought he was going to be the, an
0: NBA prospect, to be honest. I thought he was solid.
2: What? I beg your pardon?
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I am I I believe <laughs> in these guys. You know what I mean? They show me a flash of something, Kevin Clark. I, I, that's why I he can't was be in a front only,
2: He was the only guy who who was had any height at all. I think he was 6'10". He played so many minutes. And what what Larenaga did that was so effective and I actually watched... That game before I watched the Yukon game because I was trying to cope myself and think the height wouldn't matter is that they were able. He was basically, basically, Wardenberg was able to draw the big men out and make their height not matter exactly, and, and turn the turn those big men into like perimeter guys defenders what well, Yeah, exactly way far away from the basket. And that's what changed the problem with the UConn game in the final four was they had five of those guys. <laughs> so even if you were able to draw them out, it didn't end up mattering. But that was the, the amazing thing about the Auburn thing is it seemed like a massive mismatch.
0: And it was a coordination of sorts. You get to the elite eight. Um, that was supposed to be a pat on the back type moment, right? For Miami basketball, never made a final four. And instead they come back the next year, they get Nigel pack, they get Norchad O'Meara and you know you have Jordan Miller you have Isaiah Wong and from there that big 4 that core four whatever you want to call it they take you know this Miami team on a magical run they saved face for the ACC. As an ACC guy, we needed somebody outside of Duke to make a run, to, to make sure that the conference gets some respect. So now you look at the preseason polls, and I saw Jordan Miller tweet this. He's like, I'm so excited that now that I look at you know these made-up preseason polls for college basketball, Miami's one of those teams that just has to be in it, right? Even if you don't know what the full roster is going to look like, they have enough respect and cachet in the space. Now they're considered a top 25 team, a top 25 program. And that, I think, is the, honestly the, the greatest thing that Larry Nega has done for the program. He has broken that wall where now they're considered, or, or they have to be considered for the first time.
2: I mean, getting Nigel Pack and Norchetto Omir back after they both tested the NBA waters, like, there aren't a hell of a lot of, of returning guys, a returning duo better than that. Yes. Um, I, I would also say that I, this is not to flame Isaiah Wong at all. But Omir was their best player last year by a wide margin. He was the most important player. He was a menace on the offensive boards. And his I injury joke, was the
0: biggest question yes. for this team. And they,
2: and then he was hobbled the entire tournament because, I mean, I, I'm just using context clues. He really hurt himself in the ACC tournament. Yeah. He, I think he was not at 100% that entire month, and he still was really freaking good. And that's all you need to know. And I always joke, like, man, if he was 6'10", imagine what we could do. If he was 6'10",... He I, I would not be going into his third year of college ball. You know, that's, that's my take on it, you know? And so, um, and so all those fantasies, it's like, all right, well, you know, if, it was, if, if things were different, ellipsis, things would be different. Um, and so I, I think that there, you, you have to, consider them a real contender um getting matthew cleveland in throwing 13 points a game at fsu last year that's incredibly important i'm sure they're not done with the portal you know how they you know how they operate they're going to just keep churning the roster uh lost a couple guys so they still have a couple more um and you know the high school recruiting has not been amazing the last few years but it the doesn't have to four be four stars I mean, that's what i'm saying it doesn't this is not high school or this is not football where you need a base and it's funny because in football I said this a couple of times, and and some people have said it back to me, which is that I think in football, high school recruiting establishes your floor, and the portal establishes your ceiling. Mm. And in college basketball, it's just like, no, like we're just going to get six guys from from the Atlantic Sun, and we're just going to roll out there, you know. Um, And so it's you really can be a year to year. Uh, program and it's i mean look at kansas state right that's kansas a perfect state example was just like uh might as well put a sign up sheet on, on kstate.edu last august and they ended up getting you know al- almost making a magical run um to, to the final four it's it's really amazing what guys are able to do and i, I would also say tate like you mentioned this jim laranaga is old who adapts this well and I think the, I, I don't know the ins and outs of a lot of these retirements, but I think there's a lot of guys who, who are 65, 70 years old who are getting out of college basketball and saying, I don't want to do this portal stuff. I don't want to do this NIL stuff. This stuff sucks. I don't like re-recruiting these guys every single year. Guess what? Coach Laranega, who's old as hell, was like, give me those guys. I'm going to go make, make, them fi- make a final full run with them. Um, it's really amazing to see that level of adaptability.
0: And not only that, with Coach K leaving, with Roy Williams leaving in the ACC, it felt like Leonard Hamilton was the coach that was going to kind of get that baton passed to them. Tony Bennett, right, would be in the conversation. But it is now inevitable, and it's right in front of our face. It is Jim Laranega, right? If if the conference had to send someone to a meeting of the basketball minds, they would probably send Coach Larinaga. And you mentioned the fact that he's been able to adapt at the highest level. He also has debunked, I think one of the uh, biggest facades in all the NIL, the, the valuation tools that say Bronny James is worth $7.2 million. That doesn't mean that USC gets his commitment and says, okay, Bronny, um, you know, on 3com says that you're worth $7.2 million. Here's your check for it. Um, it is all like uh, it's prognosticating based on what you think the value would be. And Larry Nega is on the forefront of that. He's like, just because a guy might be valued at this doesn't mean he's actually going to get paid one-to-one at this. And I think that is, we need people like that that are willing to step out and speak out about the reality of the situation. Because if you live in this um, you know, branding world where you think you're going to be guaranteed a million dollars or whatever it is, Larry Negus saying that's just not reality. And it's good for, these are still college kids, they're college-age kids. It's good to debunk um, sort of the irrational thought that's going on as well with the NIL stuff and the portal stuff.
2: I think the NIL valuations is such junk science. It's actually really funny to see. Yeah, I think that amazing. a lot of times, I said this was last year and, and I, I've been trying to workshop and think if there's something more to say. And, and there really isn't, which is that, you know, the, uh, you know, the kind of the scam numbers that come out at the beginning of an NFL free agency. They're like, this just, this guy just signed a four year, $90 million deal to be the backup defensive tackle. And then it turns out it's like a one-year $6 million deal and then just a bunch of funny money on top of it.
0: <laughs> a lot of incentive-based you, stuff. That's, yeah.
2: that's NIL, except the contracts never get filed with the league, so we actually never find out. So like a lot of times you'll hear these rumors of a guy being like, I got $900,000. You know what it is a lot of times? It's something you and I are very familiar with, which is it's like a 17-year-old kid lying <laughs> <laughs> about how much money they have. 100%. It's like the, my uncle. My uncle worked for a Nintendo thing when you're growing up. It's like, oh, you won't believe. Let <laughs> me show you what, my bank account. Yeah, yeah, bro. Let me see. Let me let,
0: let, guess how <laughs> much pull up I Pull your have. Wells Fargo app. I,
2: I really do think that there are guys getting a lot of six. There's a lot of people making six figures in college football, but I also feel like there's a whole lot of bullshit going around here, and I think that there's guys who are there's schools that are out, overthinking it. There's schools that are. Um, you know the amount of 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 things i hear where you hear like oh this team I, you better pay me x amount 100,000 dollars or else i'm going to jump to this this team and it's like well is there any mechanism in which you can call that coach and be like hey man are, is are you actually like is there even room for this kid if you know what i mean like it, it's just so strange that because i am so in favor of NIL, um but what's happening now now, it's not even a bot. And what's happening now is that the players are learning how to extract as much value as possible from the fan base and the program, which is an objectively great thing. Um, and it's just so unregulated that it's actually very funny. I am, I am so happy that there are players who are getting $750,000 or more in some cases. That kid at Tennessee who is reportedly getting $8 million. God bless that kid. Um, and, and, but I, I think that that's what's happening now is those valuations are based on so many things that just really aren't accurate. Like I don't, I, it's also two separate things. There's like the, the Livy Dunn LSU thing where she can get paid off of Instagram posts or TikTok and, and be an influencer and, you know, go to sports illustrated and, and the have Cavender and twins, have right? With Miami the last Cavender year. twins, but Livy, I, I don't, maybe I'm wrong. Livy Dunn can't get a million dollars for transferring to USC. I don't think that's the case. So it's to, it's almost two separate tracks and we're kind of combining them where it's like marketing deals plus the actual NIL. I heard a story the other day of someone where this kid committed to a place and it was kind of weird and I asked somebody, I was like, "This is this is a little bit of a weird commitment. And somebody said, so well, actually what's happening now is that the schools are paying the kids. This is I don't think this is widespread, but this is what, what allegedly happened in this in this instance. The schools are paying the kids just to commit as like a down payment. Mm-hmm. And then you get the, the the hype, you get the, you know, the graphics on Twitter. Other people start calling you and saying, hey, man, you got this kid. That's pretty cool. And so, and so, it's almost like it's a non-binding payment, and it's certainly a non-binding payment because it's this way. But it's like, hey, we'll give you like one fifth of your actual asking price just to pull the trigger and say, I'm going to blank.
0: And, and I like, and you can verbally it, decommit at any point and go wherever you want, but it's right, just the PR on the you, front end, the
2: PR, the hype, the momentum, your X amount out of 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 signing day. So it's like, okay, let's just start building something, and that stuff matters, like re- like recruiting momentum matters, that sort of thing. Um, That all is very real, I would say. And so I think what you're seeing with NIL now is a maturation of the market. And I don't know where that goes. I don't know if that's the both sides getting a little smarter on how to play this, because I actually think it's smart for both sides. If they think it's worth, you know, uh, a little under seven figures, seven figures, excuse me, six figures to pay a kid just to commit. Like that, then if it's an efficient market, it's smart for both sides. I would, I would right now, I would take like $90,000 to just be like, hey man, I'm, I'm going to go to this random ass startup and I'm not going to go, I'm going to stay at the ringer, but I'll just tweet it <laughs> yeah. and I'll get $90,000. I'm going to go to this random ass startup to cover, to cover uh Swiss soccer. When- I'll tweet it. Uh,
0: When do you jump to shark in this? Because I had heard a story as well that there was a head coach of a program. Let's say he's making around $2.5 million. His star quarterback is making from the collective, not from the branding deals like Instagram and things like that, but just from the collective, he's making $5 million. So now you have a situation where a player on the team is making double the coach. And we know about the egos of these coaches. Obviously, the ego of a player comes into it. Is there any world in which, and this is the wild, wild west, like you said, this is unregulated stuff? It's supposed to be behind closed doors. Things get leaked, but nothing is final. There's no contracts that are public domain, public knowledge. How much, how much longer do we go before this jumps the shark and we have players and coaches going at each other's necks, and and they might be in the same uh, in the same pay range. At that point, is that is that insane to think about? Because that's going to be hilarious.
2: It's not. It's not insane to think about because it's already happening in other in every pro sport. What 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 sport professional sport now It used to not be true, but now has coaches who make more than the players. Very, very few. Very. very, I'm talking about the best players Mm -hmm. Um, like Bill Belichick makes an ungodly sum of money. But Tom Brady made a hell of a lot more. Um I think Andy Reid is probably being compensated very, very, very fairly. Patrick Mahomes averages 50 a year for the rest of his life. Okay. And it's probably gonna get more when they restructure his contract. So I think it's management. I mean, the biggest thing for me, Tate, is I, I saw you see these these quotes and, and God bless him, because I've I've done this a million times. The easiest, most reliable thing to get buzz is to just get coaches complaining about stuff that they don't like. Because they'll <laughs> right. do it. They love it. They love it. You know coaches. They love it. And this is every sport. And somebody was doing the thing in March where they were talking about how many people were jumping in the portal. And they were like, oh, uh, you know, this is so stressful because the, the, the closing buzzer, the last buzzer of the season, you got to start re-recruiting kids. <laughs> Whose problem is that? It's not mine. It makes me more interested in... By the way, the entire... Like sports ecosystem is built on the transaction being more enticing and scintillating, entertaining to follow than the action. Mm-hmm. That's all NBA free agency is. The re- I remember somebody once told me that the trade deadline in baseball was the number one traffic day on every baseball site and every ESPN.com, Yahoo, whatever, because people just want to see movement. So that's not my problem. You're the one who's being paid millions of dollars to keep these guys there. So like, I don't, I, I don't see an argument against. This movement because it's only, I know people like, yeah, it sucks if you're a Michigan State fan and the day before the portal closes in football, everybody, a bunch of your kids jump in. That sucks. But first of all, you're paying Mel Tucker a hell of a lot of money to either keep those kids or find better ones. Because mm-hmm. I heard a story, uh, again, we're, we're just doing I heard a story but <laughs> yeah, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like I had heard a transfer portal rumor about an, NBA, an NFL prospect and somebody, I was like, I was like, what's going on here? And they were like, oh, yeah, he might go. He might not go. But if he doesn't go or if he does go, here are the three guys they have lined up. And it's like, oh, there's a coach with his shit together. He thinks, oh, this guy might go to another program. I've made five calls about that. That's the new reality. So if you're sitting there and you're saying, all right, well, this guy might go. And if he goes, we're just going to be bad next year. Like what on what planet is that? Okay.
0: Yeah. No, it's wild. And uh, I think Greg McDermott at Creighton, who a lot of people have talked about how his team. Be a good
2: coach. Be a good coach. That's it. Here's my solution to everything. (laughs) Be a good coach. All right. Make a Greg McDermott point.
0: And and be willing to understand the ecosystem that you exist in. I mean, Greg McDermott, it's like a lot of people are talking about Nimhard transferring to Gonzaga. They're talking about Kaluma, right, is in the transfer portal. All their guys are getting poached, but he's like, guess what I'm doing? I got Baylor Shireman last year from South Dakota State. Right, I'm I'm playing in the same pool, so I can't play the victim when I'm doing the exact same thing to another coach in another program. So we're all we're all head above water. We all know what's going on here. I want to ask you one last thing about the Miami Hurricanes because uh, we got a little sidetracked with nil Matthew Cleveland. You mentioned him a couple times coming yeah. from Florida State. There is a lot of connection between Florida State basketball. Leonard Hamilton obviously coached at yep. Miami, um, but Matthew Cleveland hits a big game winning shot. He throws the U down, and I know that Miami fans are very sensitive about this. My boy, Javante Williams, did it a couple times. Marquise Williams did it a couple times in the football, um, You know, back when Carolina football had some good moments. Um, But in general, how do you feel about someone doing the U down and then coming to the U and playing for the U? Does does that upset you, or are you okay with that?
2: I once had a rumor, by the way, that Marquise Williams grew up a massive Miami fan,
0: and that's why he did it.
2: Uh, I don't it, know if that's ever been
0: it, well. Butch Davis is who recruited him to North Carolina. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. No, I just someone why. once
2: told me that, and I don't, I don't know. We can ask um, Marky. How do I feel about that? I feel that if you contribute to the Miami Hurricanes, you can do whatever you want beforehand. <laughs> like that's the that's that's the big boy pants thing for me. I like it. It's like I I don't how many times does a recruit in the process you've seen it a million times in basketball you've certain, see, certainly seen it a million times in football they'll disrespect a team in the recruiting process or they'll they'll rip a team's current roster in the recruiting process or they'll say you know with Miami I think the biggest criticism with football is always that um, they don't have a lot of fans for a non kind of Florida State Florida Notre Dame type of game in the stands like I hear recruits say that all the time in articles and stuff And I'm not going to freak out about it so I don't my thing is, when you're on a team, you should be the best teammate in the world. That was that, that. Let me tell you something. That was the advice my mom gave me when I started my journalism career. Whatever your job is right then, no matter how small or big, be the best one in the world. If your job is to put high school scores in the Chicago Tribune, which was my first job, be the best high school typer on the planet. Okay, Matthew Cleveland was a Ford State Seminole last year, and he had a game-winning shot. And then to be the best Florida State Seminole in the world, he threw the U down. Mm. That sounds like a pretty good get to me for the University of Miami
0: Hurricanes. Yeah, I like that. I like that angle. I like that big brain approach. I, I didn't like it. Well, the... So what's he
2: going to do? What's he going to do? A, <laughs> is he going to throw games? What's the, what, what's the other? Is he going to throw games and be a sleeper cell? And then just the end of the year, start doing the, the tomahawk chop?
0: I think at the end of the day, once he threw the U down, Larry Nega went up to him and said, son, I'd love to see you at Miami next year. And he was like, I would like to win games at Miami next year.
2: Mac Brown did that to Robert Griffin. Mm. Are you aware of this? Yeah,
0: tampering. You, you, my, favorite, my favorite thing in sports right now, in college sports, is tampering. It's the best.
2: Mack, Robert Griffin said that Mac Brown, after the first Texas Baylor game, basically just came up and was like, How'd you like to be a Longhorn? <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: that's, that's my coach. That's, that's my <laughs> head coach. That's what you're supposed to be doing out there, Kevin Clark.
1: This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong.
0: Um, So let's talk a little bit about NBA. First, we'll start with the Miami guys, because I talked to some people that were at the Combine. Two names I heard a lot of were your Miami guys. Jordan Miller was a name that everyone loved. They love his switchability. That was the word of the day with him. And then Isaiah Wong, who was, you know, a guy who ACC Player of the Year candidate. I mean, just a a star in his own right. But what, what does it feel like? What is the pride for a Miami fan when you see the Combine notes and they're like talking about two Miami guys?
2: Yeah, both of them were basically, the, they said, the best player on the floor on some of those runs. Yes, at the combine in the scrimmages. I, yep. the, the Miller thing doesn't surprise me as much as the Wong thing. Um, Miller is so solid and efficient at all times, and he knows exactly what he's doing. I've never looked at Jordan Miller and been like, this guy is lost. <laughs> um, and believe me, I've watched a lot of Miami games and seen a lot of lost fellas, okay? Um, Miller is not that. He's a little older, obviously. He's got experience, but I just think he's the type of guy we're in the right environment. And it's so funny because I've seen it on Twitter, and it almost seems like a uh, it, it's it's trending towards reality. Jordan Miller feels like a Heat culture guy, yeah. You know? And like right. I actually saw, I actually saw kind of a funny little mo- Twitter momentum thing a couple weeks ago where someone said that jordan miller is expected to be like a a two-way guy like a like an undrafted guy and it was all of these just like memes of pat riley staring intently like (laughs) you you don't let jordan miller get undrafted do not do it sacramento kings because you know what's going to happen if he gets undrafted he's going right to the form the the arena form windows ftx arena and he's putting up nine and three next year okay Okay, and,
0: and they're starting five undrafted guys, and the entire game they just keep mentioning that there are five undrafted guys playing with each other right now. Yeah, that's perfect.
2: That's exactly right. That's exactly right. He could be Jordan Miller. I'm looking at the camera. Talk, talk turn the camera on. <laughs> Jordan Miller is the next Udonis Haslem.
0: Oh wow! How about that? That was that's something right there. The last dance. Undrafted. Yeah.
2: Undrafted culture guy solid, can do so many things on a floor. Also, Udonis Haslam went to Florida. He's a gator. And then he retconned Miami Hurricanes fandom, which is not uncommon. But like, he will be like, I in some scenarios, it'll be like, I root for Miami. And it's like, you can't really do that. And then, uh, but whatever. It's Udonis Haslam. I'll, I'll let him do it. And then a couple weeks ago, Jalen Ramsey signed with the Dolphins. And he was like, I grew up a huge Miami fan. Nice. And I was like, you can't, you you can't do that when you play for the rival football team. You can do that with the basketball team. You can't, Jalen Ramsey. You're not allowed to be a Miami fan. You can't retcon Miami fandom.
0: I wanted to ask you about that because obviously you have your magic hat on right now. But the Miami Heat, uh, you mentioned Udonis Haslam. He's on his last dance. He's having a great run. They most likely will be going back to the NBA Finals here. How much of a mad, do the magic fans hate the Miami heat? Do they respect the Miami heat? What is is that relationship um, like? That's what I want. I want to speak to that.
2: Yeah. So NBA rivalries are all always very strange, right? Right. Uh, they're not very regional and they don't last a long time. Um, Celtics Lakers is, is not geographic in any way. It's based on them being good at the same time, a handful of times and those epic battles. um, I remember when I covered the NBA my first two years out of college, I remember doing a story on the Celtics and the Knicks and basically being like, What why don't these teams hate each other? Like, what is this? Like every other think about the Patriots and the Jets. Think about obviously the Red Sox and the Yankees. Like there's nothing, even the the Rangers and the Bruins, or some animosity there. And I remember asking Alan Houston about this, and he was basically just like, NBA rivalries happen when teams are awesome at the same time. And there's a Knicks-Heat rivalry because they were at similar statures and they started brawling and all that stuff. So the Heat and the Magic have never really gone... They've played in the playoffs before, but they've never really had some epic clash where it's going to be back and forth, everybody traveling to each other's arena and all that stuff. Um, When the Magic were good in 09, that was kind of the Michael Beasley... Earl Baron kind of rebuilding type of years. That 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 whole thing. Like Penny Hardaway was on the heat in two thousand eight. Yeah, that's kinda of all you need to know. Um, and then in the nineties, they kind of just missed each other. Um, the magic were good in ninety four and ninety five and that that kind of era, and then the heat got better later in that decade. Um, the magic were completely missing from the the LeBron Heatles era. There was a game, if you remember, where the Heat were going for the record or close to it for wins, regular season wins, and the magic were actually up quite a bit late in that game. Then LeBron was just like, "Yeah, I'm good. I'm going to go ahead and destroy the Magic." Um and so that was kind of it. I actually did re- I do remember Michael Beasley hitting a game winner I think in 09 or 2010 um in Orlando Arena and that was kind of an epic game. Dwayne Wade once scored 50 at the Orlando Arena and we uh the Magic killed them. It was when Stan Van figured out to just let the like let Dwayne Wade score as many points as you want and then we'll just will just you know they're not they're gonna score like seventy five points total <laughs> and fifty, of them, score being 50 of them.
0: Yeah.
2: Um. And so there's just never been that much animosity. I don't. I honestly I know this sounds crazy as someone who just doesn't touch the NBA at all. I'm allowed to say this. I actually just don't care either way about the Heat. Mm. Um. I I, I just I, I enjoy watching basketball and I will. But like I I don't feel any different from the Heat. I mean like you see it more like the entire University of Miami football team went to the Heat game last night like. That's interesting to me. I'll read about that. But whether or not they win or lose has never really mattered to me.
0: Yeah, it just felt like um, during the Heatles era, like there was, you know, and I think Larry Nega had something to do with this. They tried to connect the two, univers- the university and the team. You know, obviously they had Shane Larkin at that time. Uh, my boy Reggie Johnson from North Carolina, legend. Uh, they won the ACC in 2013. So that was like a, a time where I felt like the Miami Heat tried to co-op the U a little bit. And I don't know how much uh, that, that messed with your mind. It sounds like you no. don't care either way.
2: I, I I don't I don't care, and also I I think it's cool when like Spolstra says like oh like because they always ask about each other at the press conferences. Even like Jimmy Butler's wearing Panthers jerseys around. I think that's kind of cool, but not from a fan standpoint. I just think it's cool to see a connection in a in a city like that. Um
1: so says it's the fans. So Rudy said it's just the fans. He doesn't have any problem with the Heat. Just says the fans kind of get under his skin.
2: Yeah, but that's my I, I'm I, I will so. I can't turn on Heat fans because they're also Hurricane fans. <laughs> right. Do you get know what I'm saying? You're stuck. And so I would also say that I'm going to be careful here. Some of my uh, animosity towards Florida State University is either buried or hidden or just kind of been tapered out by the fact that so many of Florida State graduates are my brothers and sisters in Orlando Magic fandom. You have to make compromises. Mm. So up there in Connecticut in the middle of Connecticut and <laughs> spouting about the magic to, to anyone that doesn't will doesn't have listen. to all politics is local for me you know and i got a lot of people down there both in Miami and Orlando and up in St Augustine where where I i lived in, in, during covid and we have to meet people halfway i am i cannot hate heat fans because uh i you know in in another life i am a heat fan
0: yeah i like that i i got to ask you about um your number one pick your former number one pick and not Dwight Howard but of course Paolo Bencaro. Um, he just did a photo shoot I saw where he's got the baggiest jeans on. He's trying to bring back the early 2000s look. He had a great rookie year, wins rookie of the year. I know you were very excited when he got drafted number one. How high is the ceiling with the Palo Bancaro magic? Do you actually believe that they can really become a contender? Because I, I, I'm not going to say that I fully buy in, but I think Palo has all the goods to be a legit franchise player.
2: Yeah. I do too, but so does Franz Wagner, and that's what mm. excites me. It's the Franz Wagner Paolo Banquerro
0: match going
2: forward. Combo, um, and then I just think that the front office is really freaking smart, and so much of it—the like magic have six, and, six, pick six and eleven this year—and so much of it comes down to who's available and kind of lottery luck, and or, you know all that stuff, and and just how deep this draft is. But they keep more or less hitting right. Like Mo Bamba was generally a bad pick, but like. That was a four player draft, you know, um, and they just happened to not have not had that, that, that pick. Um, I just Franz Wagner, like I saw Jacoby on the street last year and he was just like, I watch a lot of Michigan basketball. I did not see Franz Wagner coming. Right. And like, that's the I, I think even people who follow college just didn't didn't see it coming. And. The front office's ability to find talent to develop it like I really think we're starting to see it because what the problem with the magic tape was that because there was no talent, they were always a bunch of role players searching for a superstar. Yes. And now we kind of know what the superstar looks like what the star looks like and now the ability to develop and find role players is is that much more important. Uh, What are we going to do in the draft? Uh, there's there's been sort of a, a a lot of names thrown out there. Um, I'll give you the name, Cam Whitmore. Oh, okay, Cam Whitmore oh, okay. is the okay.
0: name. That's who you want. Number six, Cam Whitmore.
2: Um, Can you tell me why?
0: Well, that's all you need to know. Uh, no, I'm kidding. I, I like his verticality. I like the fact that he can actually be a number two, number three option legit on a winning team. You already talked about you already have your two guys. I think he'd be a great number three guy. He kind of gives me, he's like DeAndre Hunter, but more athletic. Um, Yeah, I just I think he's a perfect fit. I think that Villanova culture is real. I think he learned how to fit in in that culture. He's going to have a great group of people behind him supporting him. And uh, I think he is really untapped um, at at a high level. I don't think we've seen even close to the best of Cam Whitmore. And he's a very young guy, 19 years old. So I like him at six.
2: What about one of the Thompson brothers? Because they've got long ass wingspan. I worry about competition.
0: I worry about who they were playing but what you see at overtime elite is obviously amazing at times but then you look at who they just did it against and it's like oh this is a guy who got no offers and you know won't be playing basketball much longer that's what worries me about the Thompson twins
2: i what about i've heard a couple people say this because the magic needs shooting one of the problems problems
0: jordan pool quotation
2: marks well okay stop um be, be serious for a second um <laughs> So Saruti was, Saruti
0: was fired up about Jordan Poole. No, I talked to,
2: I talked to Saruti. (laughs) I talked to Saruti about this. I talked to Saruti about this already (laughs) and he needs to get serious too. Um, and so the magic team shooting, one of the, one of the hiccups of the season was that Palo Banker was not particularly efficient. Now, uh, thankfully I can sleep at night because Kevin Pelton went on the low post and said that it's actually quite similar profile-wise to when Kevin Durant was the first option when mm-hmm. he was young. And they're just putting the ball in his hands all the time. And he's young, and he's a couple NBA tricks he hadn't learned, and all of a sudden he's not as efficient as he could be, right? Um, went through some cold streaks, all that stuff. So I love that cope. Thank you to Kevin Pelton. Shout out. You're getting me through the <laughs> summer, buddy. Um, and and so, But they do need shooting. I've heard the name Greedy Dick thrown out there.
0: Dick watch. Oh, man. I like Grady Dick. I like Grady Dick. What, at 11? Did you
2: wait? Stop, 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 stop. Did you look at Kyle because you wanted him to say dick watch? Yes. Okay. He knew
0: I was going to say it. I, I was waiting coverage. for Kyle to get excited. <laughs> Kyle loves Grady Dick. He loves Hunter Dickinson and Grady Dick. We wonder why. So I, I just was waiting for his, like, reaction to that. But, yeah, Grady Dick at 11, that makes sense.
2: Keontae George?
0: I like Keontae George. I think that he is kind of, uh, he and Whitehead, Derek Whitehead from Duke, are the two guys that I think if you just look at the ESPN 100, and sometimes you have to do that, uh, the the lowest common denominator thoughts about this. I think that they're high-level prospects, and I think, honestly, their college years almost hurt the way that they're valued by NBA teams, but I still like both of them. And I like George a whole lot. I really do. I think he's one of those guys where you're like, wow, he went 11th, 12th, 13th. Um, kind of like a Devin Booker situation.
2: I have one college basketball question for you. Please. Is it not strange to me, to you, Brandon Miller effectively stopped playing basketball in any meaningful way in the tournament and just went completely cold and turned into like the at the end of rookie of the year when you just couldn't throw the ball anymore. Like Brandon Miller became that in the tournament. And we're still like, whoop, top three pick. Is that not strange?
0: It's very strange, especially. I mean, I think Woj did the best PR campaign I've ever seen for a player at the uh, draft lottery, where he basically was like, Every team that has interviewed Brandon Miller has been astounded by how amazing he is as a person. And I'm like, I guess Woj works with his agent. Um, I I don't know how that works, but yeah, he did great PR for him. The Hornets, uh, my sources in the Hornets have basically told me that Brandon Miller's the guy, but I don't believe them for a second because they also told me years ago that Donovan Mitchell was the guy and they took Malik Monk. So, I don't anytime that someone tells me information voluntarily, I, I already raise my eyebrows.
2: Zero points in the first round against Maryland. Barely a functioning program. They had 19 points. Doesn't really count. Big 10, you know? <laughs> um, and then, uh, I've a lot of Maryland people in my life. That's why I do. I, I, I appreciate that. Steven Cause Louis. I'm so
0: mad at Maryland when they left the ACC, they broke my heart.
2: Uh, we can talk about conversation. In, in a second, but, uh, my, but my, my, my mom also is a, is a terp, proud terp and Dominic Foxworth. There you go. Um, Against San Diego State, three of 19 from the field, one of 10 from three point, nine points, six turnovers. I don't know, man. That was weird. Like, I know he had a great regular season, but I'm just, I. Maybe it, maybe I'm stupid. Maybe I'm the stupid one. Maybe I should watch more tape.
0: I will say weird. this. I think I blame the draft guides and therefore I blame Kevin O'Connor. Um, every single person that has put Brandon Miller at number two on their draft guides, they are affecting front office decisions, and they're they are affecting it at a high level. Um, and shout out to them, kudos to them. But I do feel like a little bit of it is, um, everybody wants to be right, and everyone doesn't want to sound like an idiot. So if you you are trying to be the voice of reason, just to say, hey, guys, I have some questions, and it feels like if you do that in this high, you know, the, this hive mind of NBA draft talk people will just come at your neck immediately. But I think these are very fair points. I will
2: say, no, what KOC saw Brandon Miller not score and reminded him of Killian Hayes. And he said, that's my guy.
0: (laughs) Yes. I will ride for this man. I will will take him to the moon.
2: He was like, oh, man, he's inefficient. Now you're speaking my language.
0: (laughs) That's my guy. Future six man.
2: That that, those those three (laughs) tournament games have totally changed his mind.
0: And the other weird part about it, just, you know, a lot of, I've seen people talk about, you got to throw away the tournament games because he had a lot going on. So you can't talk out of both sides of your mouth. You can't say that had nothing to do with him and he's passed it, but then also say, "Well, he played bad in the tournament because it was still lingering over him." I, I, those two things can't coexist in my mind. It's either one or the other, and that's weird to me as well.
2: I, I know, I know that I know that what he's going through is hopefully a once in a lifetime thing. It's not. It's it's a criminal case. It's very serious. All that stuff, but to say like, "Oh, he can't play basketball because he's distracted." Like, again, at some point you're just like, wait a second, this is the guy you're you're turning and also by the way, like I don't there's no guarantee that that, that story has, has you know, that story did take twists and turns. Like I that I don't know. I just feel like if, I'm, if I have a second pick in the draft or a third pick in the draft, I'm not like this is my guy automatically. I'm going to do my, do my due diligence.
0: Especially when you have a guy, in my opinion, in Scoot Henderson, who has already been in the NBA universe, has already gotten sure. all of the uh, check marks and benchmarks already met you know, at a high level. So,
2: Hey, Kyle. Kyle, how did I do to try to get Brandon Miller to the Magic just now?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Did a good job. We're going to clip this. We're going to clip this. (laughs) Trade up up to the third pick with Portland.
2: Just send it to info at (laughs) OrlandoMagic.com.
0: Mitch Mitch Kupchak gets killed for doing it. You know what I mean? Everyone's like, why would you take Scoot Henderson?
2: Careful, careful. Yeah, right,
0: right, 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 right. He gets knocked out for doing it. KO'd for doing it. Um, Yeah, that's going to be fascinating. I just know this. The Hornets drafted Michael Kidd Gilchrist. And I'll never come back from that, um, you know, and I know that draft was not loaded by any means. But when you take Michael K. Gilchrist, number two, after watching him shoot a basketball that that and obviously that wasn't Mitch Kupchak. That was a different era in time. But, um, you know, we've had we've been snake bitten twice. Emeka Okafor. I mean, he was fun for the first couple years years uh, with the Bobcats until he wasn't. And then Michael K. Gilchrist, um, Lamelo has worked out at some level. But yeah, this is uh, this is tough sledding. In general, you mentioned conference realignment, Kevin. I want to talk to you about this. You took a shot at the Big Ten, which I appreciate. Um, there is a a conversation. There is a storm that is coming um, when it comes to the ACC. Even though they made the most money they've ever made last year from a revenue standpoint, there is this dark cloud that it's all going to be over. Apparently, they need seven member schools to make a move to basically break their uh, media rights deal. And they are being called the Magnificent Seven, uh, Miami, <laughs> Miami is a part of the Magnificent Seven. My North Carolina Tar Heels are in the mix in the Magnific- Magnificent Seven. What is the best end result for this, um, for these schools in the ACC? Is it forming an alliance with the Pac-12 and making a mega conference like the Coastal Conference, where it's like the Pac and yeah. in, in the East Coast, the Atlantic Conference? What What is it? What does it look like?
2: So I want to address one thing, which is I wasn't making fun of the Big Ten or taking a shot at the Big Ten. I was making fun of Maryland. Okay. Right. Um, right. And which is a totally different totally thing. Totally different. We, barely, do, we don't want the, the Midwest
0: Ten. to come after us. Yeah, you're right. Good call. Good <laughs> no, call. I want Maryland to come Just after Maryland. Yes, Just Maryland. Yes. <laughs> SVP. All the <laughs> Just Under Armour fans out there yeah, are coming after us. Because here's nets. the thing.
2: Uh, the Maryland's... Uh, like, if the Midwest... Midwest is not going to come after us because maryland is on the eastern seaboard right so that's how that's how that works um so great question do you remember last year when swim swam reported that uh do you remember this that yeah virginia north carolina florida,
0: florida, state. florida state and clemson yeah
2: we going were imminently going the espn was going to cancel the tv contract and facilitate them going all i believe to the sec yeah the four schools right and I did no due diligence on that. And I just quote tweeted. And I said, please, please stop. please stop <laughs> this," Because the first thing is that ESPN was not going to cancel a deal with 14 years left. It was completely advantageous to give Clemson more money for no reason. Right. And the second thing is, I don't want to be mean here, but I was reading some of the, like the recruiting message, like the pay sites, right, for, for one of the teams. I don't want to say which one it was, um, but you can guess because it's only going to be two to fit the profile. And the reporter, someone said, like, hey, to the mods, like, is this any truth to this? And the reporter was like, well, if it is true, it's about more than football. And I said, stop right there. There's <laughs> nothing more than football. I don't care <laughs> if you're good at basketball or lacrosse mm-hmm. or ice hockey or gymnastics. There is nothing more to this than what you do on Saturday night on September 20th. That's all that matters. Um, and so the and I thought it was interesting that the Magnificent Seven did not include Duke.
0: Right. No football team. By the way. Yeah. <laughs>
2: uh I mean the Duke did beat Miami last year. Yeah, Mike Elko's uh, a good
0: coach. I mean, I am kidding. But yeah, 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 yeah. generally speaking, Steve Spurrier was a long time ago.
2: So Um So what I think is gonna happen is first of all, I don't think any of these AC teams are gonna leave. I don't think that's gonna happen. Same. Um I think that by the time the deal is up, it's gonna be so unrecognizable what college sports looks like in 14 years that where they're going is gonna be the least of everybody's worries. Where who North Carolina is gonna play on October 5th, 2039, like I I I couldn't even begin to tell you because it ain't gonna be Clemson and it might not even be Michigan, okay? Um and I think a couple things are gonna happen. I think you see some I'd call it smugness from a couple of the schools that think they're on dry land and think like, oh, thank God we got into this conference. We're set for life, right? I'd be very careful because once this becomes a business, it becomes a business. And you wonder if some of these academic schools are not going to be politely asked to leave when the super conferences say, hey, we're actually going to go to two thirty-two team things and we'd rather actually have... University of Washington, then insert academic school here. I don't want to. I don't impugn anybody for the aggregators. Um, I point. We're not going to see what I pointed to the camera <laughs> okay, for some reason when I said aggregators. Um, and I just think the professionalism of football, which college football, which is extremely needed, is going to happen at warp speed once it starts. That could be with a Supreme Court case. There was a very narrow Supreme Court case a couple of years ago. Um, that didn't really change much. All it did was get the NCAA very scared. Um, the NCAA thinks or pretends to think that Congress is going to save them and regulate this. That will not be happening. Um, what will be happening instead is there will be increasing athlete rights, would be my guess. There will be increasing payments. There will be no regulation whatsoever on NIL payments. It doesn't make any sense. What the NCAA wants right now is they want caps on what athletes can make without recognizing them as employees. So basically they want, or they want antitrust exemption, all of this stuff. It's insane. It doesn't make any sense. And also, why is Congress going to do it? Not to get political here, but one side of the aisle is not going to limit 19-year-olds' pay for no reason, just because university presidents, not even university presidents, like coaches, offensive coordinators don't like it like that's one side of the aisle and the other side like is not so enthused with academia to begin with and the modern state of colleges so like why are they going to go and bail that out and, and also by the way like there's some constituency where it's like if you're a senator from texas you're just going to look at this and say are the longhorns being helped or hurt and it, that's all that i care about right and 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 that's why, like, you saw this in Florida where they were, the Ford and Florida State were a little bit behind the, the eight ball with some of the NIL rules, and DeSantis changed it almost immediately. That's the political future of it. There's no, there's going to be no consensus built in Congress. Anyway, that's an aside. But what I'm trying to say is that by the time the ACC dissolves, and it will dissolve after this whole deal is over, we don't know what they're going to be entering into. We don't know what they're going to be entering into because there's a bill in California right now about revenue sharing. What happens if that happens? By the way, by the way, this is important. That'd be the best thing that ever happened to the Big Ten if it became a national revenue sharing thing because they're making the most money. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden you go to Purdue, you're going to make, it doesn't matter how many life wallet shares John Ruiz has. If you go to Purdue and you get a revenue share of the Big Ten TV contract, you're going to make more. So there's all, this is not me projecting out anything. And I then no you idea. and then you
0: created a de facto super conference, right? I mean that's that's really what it comes down to. And at the end of the day Greg Sankey, one of the most you know important figures in the space right now, he wants a super conference, right? I mean that that's that's the, that's the inevitable reality of it all is that the SEC I don't know if
2: he wants a super conference. I just think that they know Kevin Warren's adding two teams from Los Angeles and like I listen brands are going to survive. Miami's going to be fine no matter what happens. And people are like, oh, you know, Miami doesn't have any fans in its stadium when they play Georgia Tech or whatever. Check out UCLA's football attendance sometimes and see if anybody complained about that when they joined the Big Ten. They want brands, they want money, and they want TV ratings. Yeah, imagine so they, UCLA,
0: ma- Iowa. I mean, it's, that's...
2: They're not even going imagine. It's going to happen in two years. <laughs> right. And I, I don't care. I I don't... I I think... I think there's some... I've written about this, but I think there's some traditions that are going to be hurt that in the long term are going to probably hurt college football. But this is... Once they started this, once the conferences started this... And I, I, I'm happy to argue that Miami and Virginia Tech started the first realignment with the ACC move in 2004. Although There's been tons of, of movement before and after that. But that started the sort of the super conference era, which is funny to think about. But once they started to professionalize there's no there was no stopping it and it's it's so like it's just such a insular thing where they're asking for kind of pro-style tv contracts but they're not sharing any of it like it is what's going to happen in the next couple years with the courts with schools you know with the fact there's going to be some school that's just going to straight up Say we're we're gonna give a salary to players. I don't know. I I honestly just don't know what's gonna happen there, and so it changes year to year. Every single year, like if we're to believe some of the reports, there's a kid at Tennessee who got eight million dollars to commit. And I've heard this point over and over again that oh well you know if they can bust and then there's not gonna be someone who makes eight million dollars again or these boosters are gonna are gonna rue the day that they spent eight million dollars. I'm saying. If, he, if there was no chance of a bust, he'd be worth $30 million. And there's no shortage tape of the idea of people being like, who want to sit in luxury boxes and be. And after a guy throws a 70-yard touchdown, say, that's mine. That's yeah, my guy. I got I'm him. I'm the guy. Yep. I got him the guy. Um, I gave him 11 Dodge Chargers. He held out for 11. I just tried <laughs> yeah. to give him 10.
0: Got the whole family Chargers.
2: And so... And so uh, you, you end up, you're like, when does this end? And even today, like I saw this this person who was like, oh, you know, NIL, maybe they'll just start regulating. And it's like, guess what the last two years have taught us? The Dodge dealerships and the random lumber factories run by people who want to give money to players. Are they going to go away if this gets regulated? Or are they just going to go back to, to stuffing McDonald's bags full of cash? Because now we know who they are. They have email addresses. They're public. Yes. You know, if, if somebody wants to get They're paid making by commercials Miami, now.
0: You're like, you can go yes. to their business.
2: <laughs> also, they were the same people who were doing it illegally five years ago. Of course, ago it's a the same of, cowboys. It's towns. like, I know that guy. <laughs> I said to somebody, yes. I was I was talking to somebody. I said this before. I think I said it on Roussel last year where it's like, somebody sent me a photo of his card. And this is literally a hundred of these. So this, you're not going to figure out who this was. It's in a college town. And they had... Uh, they had a. They're giving away Dodge Chargers to the players, and somebody said they've been doing this for 40 years. They can just take photos now. Yeah, like, that's that's it now. And so, how do you put the horse back in that barn? Mm. And so, the professionalism of college football is marching on. College sports is marching on. And so, the idea that somehow you're playing by the old rules of conference realignment, all that stuff, to me, that stuff's done. I'd actually think about what's next.
0: Yeah, and uh, innovators are going to be important in the future. Uh, to wrap this all back around, one last question for you, or one last scenario, I should say, Kevin Clark, because I asked you at the start, is Miami having a moment? And we both talked about you know, all the different reasons why they are having a moment. I think this will be the final nail in the coffin of Miami is not only having a moment, it might be bigger than the moment when LeBron went on television with the Boys and Girls Club and said, I'm going to take my talents to South Beach. What if, in this scenario... A guy by the name of Tom Brady, who has decided that he does not want to play, not, does not want to call football games anymore, decides, my kids are you know, going to school here. Um, I have always liked this franchise. They have tried to recruit me many, many moons ago. They have a quarterback who is not reliable just because of injury and things like that. Why don't I just step in here and see what happens? And you know what? I'll be the most liked quarterback since Dan Marino. Is there a scenario in which Tom Brady comes back and plays for the Miami Dolphins? And how far-fetched and insane is that? He is a part owner of the Raiders,
2: so I don't think so. I think he likes being part owner of the Raiders.
0: Mm. I think think there's still a world. He could sell out. You don't think think he sells his shares? He's like, I'm out of this.
2: What if Coach L gets involved, you know? And then all of a sudden... Brady's like, I thought, I thought I liked it. I thought I liked being an owner, but Coach L, Coach L's getting me.
0: Yeah, he's one of the best recruiters in the business. I need Tom Brady in Miami. I need him on the Dolphins. I need him going against Bill Belichick. Um, if, if David Stern was running the NFL, this is what he would do. Uh, he would make it happen. Bring Tom Brady back. Uh, let, let's get, let's get Miami all the way there. Um, Kevin Clark. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Is there any, I mean, obviously tell us everywhere we can find your work um, and and then we'll let you go for good.
2: I'm the co-host of One Shining Pod now.
0: Yeah, I, honestly. Yeah. I had a great time. Yeah. Let's bring Kevin um,
2: back. I'm, uh, I'm uh, the host of a show called Slow News Day that's every week. So it's uh, during the season. It's a video show where we have guests from around the NFL, players, coaches. The best. Thanks, buddy all that stuff during the off season. We mostly just get our friends on and just shoot the shit about the NFL. It's really fun. We have best and worst uh, improved teams this year with Sam Monson this week. And then the are our F1 show uh, has Spencer Hall this week. And then this Sunday we have the Monaco recap. Wow. Always, always a fun race in Monaco. I
0: Cape think Racer. you're, I think you're a genius by the way, by being in the F1 space, this is the wealthiest people in the world. Um, I feel like, you know, you talked about your $90,000 if someone gave it to you. I think you might get, you could get seven figures from these people. Um, Just keep working the grind, keep becoming a face of F1, and, uh, you know, the sky's the limit. I love it. I appreciate you, Kevin Clark. Thanks for coming on the show. Good luck to the magic in the draft. Cam Whitmore is my pick. We'll see what happens. Also, Grady Dick. Kyle's fired up about that. Dick Watch 2023. Dick Watch 2023. I'm sure Sarudi will be fired up about that as well. He is the great Kevin Clark. Kevin, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. See you, boys. All right, there you have it. Usually we would do, uh, you know, like an extended 15, 20 minutes of shout outs that are kind of open-ended and aimless at times. And, uh, you know, sometimes a a little bit of rambling. But right now, I don't have it in me because uh, Kevin Clark, that was such a great, stimulating conversation. He's the best. We're going to have him back on the show. Again, all of his mini podcasts and shows, go check him out. The Ringer F1 show, if you're a fan of F1, is great. Slow News Day. I mean, I remember this guy was doing it on a napkin. Um, like in the in Sunset Gower in the middle of an alleyway. So he's come a long way. We're proud of him. We love having him on the show. Appreciate him doing that. Um, one shout out: if you do not subscribe to the Ringer TV, which is now what the channel is, you can go to Spotify. You can subscribe to Ringer TV. You can watch through the Ringer, the show that I'm doing. Uh, I just recorded a great episode with Van Lathan. Van Lathan is one of my favorite people. Um, Laden with F-bombs. So. It just so many F-bombs. I mean, they. it's a TV show, so the FanDuel TV part will not have the F-bombs. But if you go to Spotify, you can watch the full version. And it was one of my favorite conversations I've had here at The Ringer. I I, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's because we're both from the South, but we just... I just feel like we can riff on anything and I'm having a great time and uh, van's the best. So recorded that one, go check it out. Ringer TV next week is Memorial day. Um, most people would say, of course, you're not going to record a show on Memorial day. Guess what folks, we already got it in the bag. We got Brian Curtis from the press box on through the ringer. Go check that out. Um, the ringer TV also has Kevin O'Connor's great show beyond the arc. Um, we got East coast bias, um, starring, you know, Joe house, starring JJ bombs, our boy and Raheem Palmer. So they're a lot of fun. So go check that out. The ringer, uh, TV feed Kyle, anything else before we get out of here? I feel like my brain is spent. I just went, I, I, this is the most ringer day I think I've ever had. I I go from van to Brian Curtis, right into Kevin Clark. So it's
1: it's my third taping of the day. And right before we did this bill was
0: like, Hey, I got to do something real quick at 1230.
1: So, uh, I got that waiting for me when, uh, We
0: turn this thing. Don't listen to it. Just
1: post it. (laughs) That's that's the now. Van's on that one. I'll be listening. All right, yeah. Go listen.
0: Go listen to that. Get that edited, and definitely do that before you do this. That's all I got. (laughs) My um, my one advice: make sure you make that priority. That's all we can do. Shout out again. This is one shining podcast. Shout out to Bill Simmons for giving us this great platform. Shout out to Kevin Clark for coming on the show. But there you have it. This has been one shining podcast. We will see you next week.